Hi, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, brother. How are you? Good, bro. Thanks for coming back on. We should we should do this weekly. Just do an NBA spot from now yes. to the finals. Yes, I'm with it. Coming on. Sunday's a good time for it, too, because you get the showcase games. Um, so it's great. The show, speaking of showcase games, they did a great job with those, with those two Laker games. I mean, I understand if it's a little too much Lakers, but how do you get better than Bucks Clippers on a weekend, right? How, how could there ever be too much Lakers? Let's start with that, especially when they're good. You, you don't think the country is, is kind of, um, I don't know, elitist about the Lakers? They, they feel like the Lakers are a little too elitist. Well, they have not made the playoffs in about, what, six seasons consecutively now? Yeah, man, it's been a while. I couldn't believe that when I, when I heard Mike Breen said that. Yeah, so they've had a pretty decent drought, right? A pretty long stretch where they have not been good. They have, they have the name brand recognition. I Mm -hmm. think what television ratings tell us is that even if there is fatigue, Mm-hmm. Eventually, you want that name brand recognition. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Also, the other thing is super teams, how everyone hated them. Fact is, ratings were up uh, during the Warriors dynasty, so people watch. Mm-hmm. You know what you're going to get, right? We like to we like to know what we're going to get when when the product is when there are question marks, then there is hesitancy on the part of the consumer to actually pay their investment, pay uh, pay their time. You see? So that's I think that has a lot to do with it. Well speaking of that, we should we should probably start with the Knicks, right? We should probably get a, a few minutes on just a primer on what's going on with the Knicks. Uh okay. you're 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 speaking of knowing what you're getting. Uh the the latest was what those three or four dudes were selling uh, sell the chanting sell the team and uh Dylan had them escorted out. Speaking of product okay. <laughs> I did not know about this. So this is news to me. So, all right. So you caught the Spike Lee stuff, right? Oh, my God. I wish I hadn't. <laughs> what, so what's your take on Spike? Give, give me the quick rundown for you on Spike. Yeah. It just seemed a little too overdramatic. I was watching the clip of him on first take. the uh, first take show. Yeah. And up until the point where he says, I was, I was just out of just like a weird weird curiosity mm-hmm. uh, I was I was watching just to see what he was talking about I, I hadn't I didn't know anything about the situation mm-hmm. and I just so happened to be going through Twitter and, and I saw that and I said okay well let me check this out and see what's going on and he's telling mm-hmm. the story and then he talks about how he puts his hands behind his back and says arrest me like my brother Charles Oakley and I'm like oh come on man that's a little too over the top and dramatic. Like, why even go with it? It, it didn't. It didn't make sense to me. Well, he is a film. He is a filmmaker, I and mean, drama is kind of what he does. But did they arrest Charles? I didn't realize that. I didn't realize they arrested him. That's what Spike says. The thing that got me was Spike said he never took a photo with with uh, Jim Dolan at any point during this this whole situation, and then it came out that he did. That that was the only thing that rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. But in general, so do you identify as a Knicks fan? I, I should know this, but I don't. I do not. Just an NBA fan. I am a mercenary. I go where the winners are. <laughs> my my uh, my support is for. For uh, it's up for it's up for grabs. Here's the thing with me: I like quality. I like winners. I like because the thing about it is, 
I, I, I take something from it in terms of just being able to apply it to my own life. What can you learn from watching a loser? I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and for I'm 30 years old, and for the first 29 years of my life, my approach to fandom was was the opposite. Mm-hmm. And what happened was I moved to South. I think we spoke about this, but basically when I moved down here last year, you know, this NBA season came up, and initially I was paying for league pass to watch the Knicks, and. About 12 games into the season, and I'm, I'm out like 43 bucks, right, for that first month. And yeah. I'm thinking to myself, why am I doing this? The Heat are actually a competent basketball team. They're exciting. They're young. They're well-constructed. They're well-coached. You know, I'm a Nick fan. I don't really like the Heat, but let me see, you know, let me watch some Heat games. Yeah. I gotta be honest, bro. It's been a pleasure watching the Heat. I'm still not a Heat fan. I still consider myself a Nick fan just because of New York. But yeah. at the end of the day, I've been watching the Heat all season, and it's been a pleasure. So yeah. I, I have to agree with you. Look here. There is when 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 you like the art of the sport. Mm. Okay, there is there is such a such a a sensation that goes through you when you're watching good basketball being played, and then you're watching guys who can think the game on another level. I like to watch those things. I like to I like to just appreciate the craft of it, I guess, is the point that I'm getting to. I, I like to, to appreciate the craft. So when you're watching a team that stinks, right, you're all you're getting is emotional distress. <laughs> you know, I used to I used to be so upset. I used to be yelling at the television, things like that. There yeah. were stretches. I'm a Lakers supporter now. There were stretches right. when I wouldn't even watch them this season because I, I was they weren't locked in. Right. Like now they're locked in. But the point I'm getting at is that these guys are making millions of dollars. I am making considerably less money. Mm-hmm. Why am I getting all emotionally and mentally worked up mm-hmm. when these guys, they lose a game, they still go back to their millionaire lifestyle at the end of it. Meanwhile, I'm stressed out. I agree, man. And I think just just as a side tangent, I think that's why Kobe was so beloved. Um the thing about L.A. is, dude, as much as we call New York the, c- the capital of the world, you and me as New Yorkers, and we consider everyone in New York to be on their hustle. Dude, everybody in L.A. is on their hustle. And yeah. Kobe was like that. Kobe really cared. You, you got the sense that he didn't just go back to his millionaire lifestyle. And I think that's kind of why, um, you know, Kobe was so beloved. Point one. The other quick point is same thing goes in life, right? Like you talk about watching a losing product, well, being around losers, right? That That energy affects you, too. Right. And it's, it's very similar to life where what do you gain by by even, you know, listening to people or, or being involved with people that are that are, you know, less than stellar. I agree yes. with you, man. Yes. I had a buddy and we we would hang out together and we're sitting down. We're watching the Knicks and he's just getting all emotionally destroyed over it. And. He he asked me something along the lines of whether or not I supported the Knicks or something to that degree. And I told him no. And his response about why he supported the Knicks was just basically he made he made it seem like he had no other choice. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he had to be a fan. And that mm-hmm. that seemed really depressing to me. Right. Just like overall on 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 just a much grander scale to feel I think that's a that applies to so many people in life as a generalization, just feeling like they have no other choice but to accept losing. I agree with you. I also think it comes with age. Uh, growing up, you become a fan of sports because it interests you, because there's something that draws you to the game. More than likely, if you if you're a basketball fan, 
you, you played ball as a kid, right? And there's that special, we spoke about this last time, right? That the thing that makes basketball special is anybody can go to a court and shoot a basketball, right? You yeah. don't need 18 people to play the game. Mm-hmm. So chances are, as you enjoyed or you appreciated actually doing it. So watching the game, you know, you watch the Knicks because when we were growing up, if they were on channel two or four, whatever it was, that was it. You got one national game a month. You know, we sound old, but that's what it was, bro. Like, yeah. you'd get a Sunday showcase on Channel 7, ABC 7. You'd get one or two games a month, and that was it. Otherwise, you know, you're stuck with Spirell and Oakley. Yeah. Uh, so you became a Nick fan. But as we grow up, and especially as kids these days with the Internet and, you know, the decentralization of, of, of the eyeballs, right, you go where the intention is, right? Uh, on yeah. social media platforms, no one's a Nick fan, right? The clips that get promoted, the stuff that gets circulated is the interesting stuff. Yeah. So I do think if I had a theory, I'd guess that kids growing up today are, are a lot less loyal to, to their fandom as, as our generation was. Well, I'll tell you this. I did not grow up as a Knicks fan. The first okay. basketball game I ever watched, we're talking about how we just had access to most. If you didn't have cable, right, you were you right. were watching uh, the weekly game. And my first experience was with basketball was the finals, Jordan and the Bulls against the Trailblazers and Clyde Drexler. And the game that I watched was that game where he hit the six threes and he wow. does the, he does the famous shoulder shrug and I show, shoulder shrug and I said, look, this is the coolest guy I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> that was your first basketball game that you watched? My very first. I just so happened wow. to just like randomly turn on the game and that's going on. Wow. Set the stage. How, how old were you at this time? Dude, if, I, I can't even recall. I was, I was, I, I can't even kind of put a number on it. I'm, look, I'm going to say early teens. Let's just put it there. Here's the thing. Um, uh, what, what, what year was that finals? Let me look that up, right? And then I can, I can pinpoint it for you. Do you, do you know? I think that was the third one, right? That was right before he retired. I think that may have been the second. Maybe in the second, second uh, of, of the first three, Pete. But I'll double check right now. Bulls Blazers final year. It was 1992. 92. Uh, so let's, let's do this now. When did he retire? When did he retire? The, the first time. 95. So this was the first one, I guess. Wow. So we're talking, that was 28 years ago. I'm 37 now. Wow. So that would make me nine years old. Wow. That is quite a first game to watch, bro. Everything yes, else sir. must have been an apt disappointment for you, though. <laughs> you Look, there, I, didn't, I didn't look at it that way. I was just very excited about, um, because that wasn't the last game of the series. But I was just very excited to continue to watch what was going on. Watch that as it develops. It's like when you when you get a good TV show and you yeah. and then it goes off and then you have to wait to the next season. You're just kind of in between waiting for the next season to happen, but you're just right. as excited when the next season comes on. Right. You know. So um, yes, yeah, so I had that feeling. I was really excited. I just wanted to see what what happened next. What's going to happen next season? And then at the end, those those end of the final montages. Remember those? Yeah, man. I don't yeah. even think do those anymore. 
Yeah, with those Marv Albert voiceovers. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> After the winning team went clinches the finals, and then they're doing the highlights of all of the great plays that took place during the finals, yeah. and they had the music, just like this very dramatic right. music. I can't remember what it was, right. but I don't even think they do those anymore. They need to bring those back. So, yeah, it just leaves you with this feeling where you're looking forward to the next season. So, um, yeah, it, it uh. That being having just one game or or one game a week where you had the best teams playing each other didn't yeah. put me in that box where I said, OK, I got to be a Knicks fan. But the Knicks were pretty good around that yeah. time. It was said Jordan was the first person that I saw. So anytime the Knicks went up against the Bulls, I wanted to see Jordan win. Little did we know that would be the last time in our life in our lifetimes that we'd see the Knicks be, be a competitive franchise. Literally, that was it. After, I, no, well, not for me. I don't know. I don't know. Um, that era. Other competitive seasons after that. They competitive. were competitive with Sprewell. Yeah, but that was the same era. Right. That, they were that decade, essentially. They went to the finals and faced the Rockets. Yeah, the 90s. That was 2000, right? Okay, I just, I wasn't yeah. sure what, yeah. uh, I misunderstood your point. Then. Yeah, I, that, that decade. That decade was the last decade of, of consecutive um, competitive basketball. Yeah. Or at least mostly competitive. Um, you know, we, uh, Mello had that one year, I think it was 2013 when they won 50 some odd games, the Jason mm-hmm. Kidd year. That was it. You know? Yeah. I think that was our only playoff appearance uh, since, since that finals, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah. This is, <laughs> here's the thing in my, in my lifetime, this is the longest stretch where they've been just awful consistently where there's just no hope in sight. At least there were times where where you could say reasonably that next year could potentially be better. They have been consistently awful. It's been two decades. Two decades. Two two decades. It's been twenty years. Okay, but Carmelo was in there. We had one good year with Melo. One good year. Yeah. Right. Um. But but there was still they weren't awful, right? Like you can say on a year to year basis that there was the potential for them to be good the next season. We're talking, I'm, for me, it's, it's, it's being able to look at the product going into the next season yeah. and not being able to have hope that they could at least be good or compete. Yeah, without making this too Knicks heavy, look, yeah. RJ's a nice player. Uh, I can't say I've watched a lot of Knicks this year because I haven't. Okay. Uh, but Kevin Knox is pretty much a disaster. Uh, Frank the Tank has been useless, essentially. You, you moved everything else and you now you have two year deals. So it's really great that your entire roster is flexible. That's fine. But what choice do you have? I mean, no one's coming to your franchise. That, that's what we learned last year. If, if Kyrie doesn't want a part of you, that's pretty bad. Does anybody want Kyrie now is an interesting question. The Knicks will take him. The Knicks will take him, but he's not going to go anywhere. They're not going to trade him. I'm pretty sure he's under contract. Yeah. So he's not going anywhere. But anyway, can no, you- because I, I I was saying that because I've got little hope in the guy. I have little faith, I should say, in his desire to want to play and compete at a high level. I think he's he's a front runner. So I think he'll be more engaged and you'll you'll probably see him next year relatively healthy when Kevin's back. Mm-hmm. But when he's the guy that's got to carry the load. Not you happen. see that you see that that having to carry that load manifests itself physically with his body breaking down. I also I also don't believe he's a leader. 
Um, this is this is my opinion. I have nothing against him personally. I, I don't believe Kyrie Irving is a leader. He is not the leader of men that I would want on my team. Just not just not my taste. I think he's flaky. I think he's I don't know. I I think he's a little passive aggressive, which LeBron can be too. But the difference is LeBron is a leader of men. I don't think Kyrie is. That's just my opinion. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, brother. You see, the the thing is, when you are an elite special talent, everyone is not always going to be at your level. Jordan infamously got into fights with other teammates. OK, and he sort of softened that that competitive edge that 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 whatever it was in him to make him want to fight people because they weren't on his level. And right. he found another way to do it. Kyrie has not at least made peace with finding another way to do it, in my humble opinion. You have to make peace with it. The, 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 the special guys, the great athletes, the great leaders in general, regardless of what your industry is, right? Just outside of sports. Right. There is a, a very, the word I'm looking for is a subtle, it's a subtle art. When right. you're talking about leading people, especially when you're someone who thinks the game several steps ahead of the average person. Right. I agree with you. But look, in life, here's here's my opinion. In life, if you're given a close to ideal scenario and you do not capitalize, it's one of two things. And it's most likely the first thing. The, se- the second thing is this. It just didn't work out. You put in your best effort. And you know what? It really wasn't a perfect scenario. But if it was, and you know, no one will ever know this. This isn't the kind of thing where you, you, you materialize and measure, but this is my opinion in life. If you get a job opportunity and 9.99 out of 10, everything's lined up. You have a great boss. You have a great environment. You have a great general manager. You have great coworkers, the talents around you. If everything is perfect, which it never is, but just hypothetically in a real world and you don't capitalize on that situation, how am I supposed to believe that you're not the problem? Mm-hmm. That's just, I'm going to play the chances. Chances are you're the problem and not everybody else around you, which objectively everyone else mostly believes is pretty awesome. That's my take on Kyrie. You put him in Boston with a great situation, great coach, great talent, great everything, great general manager, great history. And you said, here are the keys to the franchise. You be the leader. And he failed at that. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to not believe this is a Kyrie problem? I mean, it's been documented, everything that we're, we're talking about, but just in general, without yeah. stereotyping and generalizing, this is just how I feel. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. It is, we were talking last, the last episode, just about how that thing that you're incredibly gifted at, it it isn't the most joyful thing in your life at all times. And I think Kyrie is incredibly gifted at playing basketball and he'll he'll use his vehicle to take him as far as as he wants to go. Yeah. But ultimately, I don't feel that his heart is in it all the time. He He's he's spoken about wanting to retire before 30. Right. So so this is guy, this is a guy who's clearly looking beyond the game of basketball and and considering what his life is going to be like in that next stage. So a guy when you hear a guy talk like that, his heart's not all the way in it. And you got to wonder how passionate he is about the grind. 
Yeah, man. Um, I, I do think this is a millennial thing. And obviously, given the title of the show, we never hold back when it's a millennial bullshit thing that we call out. I think yeah. this is a millennial thing. I really do. Like this mm-hmm. idea that that one has different passions. I'm all for that. You should pursue yeah. all of your passions, especially in 2020 when we have the Internet. And yeah. the only way the only thing be, there's nothing between you and somebody else. All you have to do is communicate. You should communicate about all your passions. I totally agree. But if you have a passion that has a window that will make you a lot of money, just my opinion, you might want to capitalize on that passion. It's great that you love stocks. It's great that you love to play golf. You can do that at 37. You can't really do this at 37. So I don't know. I have a problem with it because if I had that talent, it's all I would do. I would double down on basketball. I wouldn't consider myself not more than an athlete, right, which which is LeBron's campaign. Mm -hmm. I would just double down, dude. You you have your whole life to be more than an athlete. That's yeah. just my opinion. Yeah. A couple of things come to my mind as you're saying that. A couple of quotes from two famous guys in two completely different industries, Chris Rock and Bruce Lee. Chris Rock said a man is only as faithful as his options. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Lee said, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks one time, but the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times, mm. right? To go along with your point, which is just mm. hone in on that one thing and just put your all into it and mm. be very good at that instead of dispersing your energy and trying to be very good at several different things at one time, dissipating your energy. Uh, the Chris Rock thing, mm. this goes when you were talking about millennials. We have a lot of options. This this narrative that that people are limited in life is bullshit. We just can't choose what it is that we want and dedicate everything to that. You see, because we we start in on this one thing and we realize how hard it is. Right. And it doesn't yeah. turn around for us quick enough. And right. then we start looking at what what else we can get on to that. That would be a little easier, but nothing is easy at all. Nothing. We cannot cheat the grind. Okay, we can only get out what we put in. Right. So a man is only as faithful as his options. And when we have so many options, what are we being faithful to? Right. What are we consistently dedicated to to the point where we have built that thing up to now start generating for us the lifestyle that we want? I agree, man. I agree. Uh, But we were going to actually talk about this later on in the show. But now that we're here, we should really delve into it. Uh, what was the thing? Was was that a tweet or something that you showed me? Where uh, to highlight this point, or or was there something? Was it your tweet where you, you made this no, point? Such thing as an overnight success. Yeah. What? What? Where? Where did that come up? Yeah, I was the the thought kind of came popped into my head randomly. I don't okay. I don't remember what was the catalyst for it, but it was your just, thought. All right, my bad. This this general belief that we have in our society right now, where because you hear it a lot where people say, oh, now because of Instagram and YouTube, we can have overnight successes. And that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. OK. And what drove the point home for me was seeing a lot of people who are Instagram famous. Right. Who are really just faking the funk. Mm-hmm. OK, they can have they'll have millions of followers and you see them doing all the fashion over ads in the world. Mm-hmm. Right. But the thing about it is, in real life, they're broke as a joke. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And I have it on good authority from people who hang out with these Instagram famous people who actually see them in their natural habitat and they realize, okay, that shit is that all of that, that luxurious shit is just for the gram. Yeah. You actually live a very mild mannered life and you are like many of us just kind of struggling and hustling to get by. Yeah. Okay. And so what happened, what you, what you realize is that just because somebody can take a bunch of pretty pictures or find a nice car to pose in front of, okay. That was where it came from, right? Someone, this guy, Dave Meltzer, I don't know how familiar you are with him. I think he was an agent and now he sort of does like the, the inspirational thing. He uses his, his Instagram platform to, to inspire people. Mm -hmm. And he spoke about how he was at a place. He was at a party and he was saying, okay, this is not my house. This is not my car. You know, just right. sort of pointing out how people do that, right? right? Where they'll pose in front of some luxury item and act like it's theirs just to sort of perpetrate this perception of how successful they are because they're trying to sell you some product. Right. Okay. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And, and he said that. And then it, 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 it dawned on me. It's like, oh man, look at this. Like a lot of people who you look at on the internet and this is a lot of people are being fooled by the, this whole smoke and mirror routine. A lot of young people. Because they don't want to put in the work. They don't want to grind. Okay. So they buy into the narrative that people can become insta famous overnight and not have to put in the same level of work that everyone else does. No, they still have to put in the grind. Okay. If they're faking anything for the gram, right? Mm -hmm. Don't, don't ever believe, don't think for a second that the bill isn't going to come due on all of that faking that they're doing. Yeah, the chickens are going to come home to roost for sure. Um, I agree with everything you just said. This brings me to to sort of the next level. From well, first of all, let me let's let's just let let me just uh, cement your point here. A hundred percent that you can't treat uh, cheat the hustle. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that people aren't used to discomfort, and I'm speaking about myself, right? I'm not talking about anybody else, but myself. We are conditioned to run towards comfort that's just that's just how our human brains are right that's just how we evolved and what happens is is everything you the, the gratification you get when you refresh and something comes up that that happens that the fact that that happens every single time that's easy right you didn't have to work to get your to get your reward okay if you go out and you hunt and you, you know, you, you go eat that meat. I guarantee you that meat's going to taste different than the best steak in the best restaurant in the city. That's just, yeah. fact. that's just what I'm telling you is going to happen. There's a reason because you worked for it because it, it was hard. You had to go out there. You had to pull your bow an hour. You had to practice for months. You almost missed it. You were out there for three days. Dude, that's going to taste different, right? Yeah. So I just think that we, we're, we're, we're comfortable. We're not comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's where it stems from. Yeah, but to, I agree. Yeah, just my greater point is this: I have a love-hate relationship with social media. Like, I love everything that it can stand for, but I hate everything that it does stand for. Like, and I don't know how to balance that because for me, yeah, all the fronting and all the BS, but just greater than that, it it, it, it it's 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 mostly garbage. Even the stuff that isn't fronting, 
you can't trust what you read on the Internet, right? I was just reading this New Yorker article about how the 2016 election went down and how the guy who ran Trump's campaign basically said, I didn't do anything illegal, and he shows what he did. And he didn't do anything illegal. But the point is, is he influenced a lot of people with misinformation. However you want to politicize it, that's what happened. And I actually think good for them. They didn't break any laws. You should do whatever you can to win. I, I have no issue with what happened. But the point is, is the fact that that happens means that it's a cesspool of just garbage. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, it can give you a life you want. It can allow you to talk about your interests. I mean, it's, it's unparalleled. It's the, probably the greatest invention in human history. So I just I have trouble with that dichotomy. Yeah, it's look, it's a, it's a difficult thing to reconcile with when you have an expectation. Mm-hmm. I don't have any expectations. I like to look at things objectively and not have. Here's the thing. The perception is what creates the reality. Mm-hmm. Now, there are people who, like you said, utilize the platform to create a better life for themselves. And then there are people who have become so, so attached to it, so addicted that yeah. it is, it is making their, their lives a living hell, right? Yeah. Or at least making them unproductive mindless drones yeah okay so it's not it's not the the platform itself it's how the person is using it yeah you see and we can talk about how most people just don't have that level of discipline i think it's china right that actually has these heavy restrictions on their their uh their citizens because of this very thing too many choices mm-hmm. you see and and we can look i think freedom of choice should always rule out mm-hmm. but when you're talking about how you know for a fact that ultimately people sort of short circuit when they have too many choices on their plate and then end up just not getting anything done so when you just say okay this is your option your only option people sort of work within the parameters of that and become pretty successful, pretty disciplined. Okay. We have a lack of discipline because we have so many options, right? That's just the case. You you spoke about how we seek our comfort. If this, if this one thing that, okay, maybe you have a passion for or at least has the potential to create a better life for you requires more work than you're willing to put in then that seeking comfort is going to drive you away from it. I agree. And then you'll start looking at something else, but then that's not going to do it. And then you just end up spinning your wheels and then you never get anything done for 20, 30 years of your life. And you look back and you're like, damn, I should have at least went after that one thing. There's a lot of beauty in not having choice. There really is. Um, Obviously, my background coming from a, a very religious home, uh, Orthodox, Jewish Orthodox home. Um, dude, the older I get, the more I realize you're actually more free when you're constricted. And, and constricted, I mean, quote unquote, constricted. It's paradoxical, right? Yeah, man, it's weird. You, you look at someone who says, "All right, listen, you know, every week for my entire life, every Friday night. I mean, just, just, I, I know you know what Sabbath is, but just to contextualize it, every week." From Friday night sundown to Saturday evening sundown, you 
rest. You don't touch your phone. You don't drive your car. You don't cook. You don't clean. You don't do the laundry. You're not doing jack, bro. You're, yeah. you're going to you're going to temple to worship. You're coming home to spend time with your family, and you're you're free to indulge in the delicacies of the world, right? You're encouraged to be with your wife, for example. That's actually a, a positive commandment. Like you're supposed to enjoy your your day, but you cannot work. And you might look at that from the outside looking in and be like, well, so if there's a Broadway show you want to go to and it's opening on Friday night, you can't go like, no, you can't do you can't go. If there is somewhere you got to go, something you got to do, someone you got to see, you can't do it. It's really easy to look at that and say, that's constricting. That's not fun. And it's not better. It's better to have options. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I disagree that it's better to have options, but there is a certain beauty to just surrendering yourself to a regimen. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you 100% on, on everything you just said. We, uh, we, I think we can, we can move on. <laughs> we, yeah. We're yeah. in total agreement. Yeah. Let's, uh, let, let, let's, uh, let, let's dive into the Lakers here coming off a yeah. big weekend, right? Uh, tuning in if this post will go up tomorrow. So you'll, you'll hopefully if you're listening and you care about basketball, you'll get this right away. Uh, your thoughts. So just real quick, they beat the Bucks and the Clippers. Let's start with the Clippers game first. I watched every minute of that game. Um, obviously LeBron came out looking to make a statement against yeah. Giannis and then against the Clips. Mm-hmm. The thing, so a, a bunch of things stuck out at me in this Clippers game. The, the the thing that that just let's start let's start with the Clippers. Sorry. Okay. The thing the thing that I didn't understand is why Bradley uh, Avery Bradley starting if LeBron is playing the point. That's the first thing I didn't really understand. Okay. But then I watched it. I, I you know in the first quarter his defensive intensity was through the roof and then it kind of made sense. But the fact is is they're going with him over Kuz and I'm not sure I fully understand that. But fair well, enough. Well, look. I, there is, you have to have balance on the team, right? Who is coming off the bench and getting them buckets if Kuz is in the starting lineup? The problem with that theory is that Kuz has been demoted because he hasn't been playing well. No, he wasn't. He was, that was him from the beginning of the year coming off the bench. Yeah, I hear you. Right? So you're talking about creating wave a wave having two essentially two starting lineups right and then look here's the thing lou williams comes off the bench too it's not about who starts it's about who's going to finish and Kuz has every opportunity to be one of the guys finishing if one he's the first and foremost he's going to have to play deep that's what he did today and he's been doing it more consistently as of late playing deep okay he's not he's not a great defender but this is only his third year in the league Mm -hmm. which is very understandable but the commitment, the dedication, the drive, and the willingness to want to do the dirty work. I saw him j- just diving in there and grabbing loose balls and getting offensive rebounds and putbacks. He was doing the dirty work. And you're going to need guys like that around AD and LeBron. I agree, Link. My point is, is that Kuz didn't even close the game either. He doesn't. Look, if, here's the thing. The lineup that closed the game for them won the game for them. There's a very specific reason. I was I was puzzled by the Markeith Morris pickup because I thought it was just one of those deals where it's like, okay, who's who's available to be picked up? So let's pick up this guy. But when you look at the fact that now you're able to have, they've got so much size on the court 
and not just size at the end of the game, but guys that can defend the perimeter, okay, and can shoot around around LeBron. Who else? They don't have anyone else that fits the the characteristics of a Markeith Morris on their team. Well, let's talk about the closing lineup because that that's that's a great segue to my point here. Mm-hmm. To answer your question, here was their closing lineup: Green, KCP, and Bradley. That's not a strong closing five, bro. And was it KCP? I thought it was Danny, LeBron, AD, uh, Avery, and Markeith. Markeith was in there until about the five minute mark. They took him out. So they closed. They they may have brought in. Uh, they may have subbed out KCP for defense. But the last two minutes, the critical period was sort of six minutes to three minutes. That was the that was the three plus your two. So obviously AD and LeBron, um, Green, KCP, Bradley. Bradley was in there because he had the game of his life, and that is kind of my point here. They won this game because of Avery Bradley. LeBron closed it, and LeBron started it. But Avery gave him, I think it was eighteen. Uh, he gave him 33, 33 minutes and twenty four points. Um, that was the difference in this ball game. LeBron had twenty eight, AD had thirty. Without that, uh, Bradley twenty four. This is a different ball game. So that's why he was in there. Um, but my point is this: is uh, that's not a great closing five. Uh, you have to leave Danny in there. So to talk about who you need, you got to have you got to have a shooter with LeBron down the stretch for the double, but. Kuz versus Markeith versus Caruso versus Rondo. That's going to, that's going to be a tough sell because you really need to figure out what that five is. I don't think the Lakers know who their, who their last five is. Okay. I respectfully disagree with yeah. pretty much everything you said, even down to who closed. I'm fairly certain it was Markeith and not KCP. Um, that could be that is, He was out there at some point, but go ahead. I'll let you make your point. That is, if you look at the game, right, we're talking about the Clippers' best five on the court closing the game. And they were not able to outscore the Lakers with because of that particular lineup. Okay. Right? Um, who you would, you would rather have Markeith out there to battle with Martre, Mark, Mark, what? what's the guy's name? Montrez? Montrez, there we go. Trez. You'd rather have him out there bodying up Montrez than KCP, right? And then you got, you got, you got Danny, you got LeBron, and you got, uh, Avery on the perimeter for Kawhi, uh, PG, and Lou Williams, who they, just started to abuse down there in the pick and roll because he's a sieve defensively. So they had to end, they ended up having to take him off, off of the court because they were just abusing him. So they completely nullified mm-hmm. his effectiveness in the fourth quarter. Okay. Right. So look, if, and, and look, the, the point that, okay, they won the game because of a- Avery Bradley, someone's going to have to step up. Right. Someone's have to going to play. Someone's going to have to play that role of third score. So, OK, if he comes in and scores a bunch of points, great. But he is the guy he's he's there because he's a three and D guy. And if he goes out and gets you 20 points on a night where he hits five or six threes, fantastic. 
But what you expect from him is to hit the three when he's open, when LeBron passes him or AD passes the ball to him out of a, out of a double. And you expect for him to play excellent perimeter defense, which he has been giving all season long. So fair enough. To, but to, to your point, if you look at what the Clippers have in that second unit, it's it's really, really disparaging how much better they are in that second unit. You mentioned Trez. Trez versus Dwight is that first, second unit matchup. Dude, Trez ate him up. Who are you taking in that matchup? You're taking Trez. Trez is, is going to dominate that. Reggie Jackson versus Rondo, bro? Reggie's a real player. He He's not, you know, that young kid in, in OKC anymore, but Reggie can get you a dime and a bucket when you need it. That's my point, is the Clippers are so much deeper and that's a real problem for the Lakers. Okay. How, look, we can say it was just one game, but none of that played itself out in this game. I agree. That, that goes without saying. Just looking at the box score though. So, so it, let's just talk about this game specifically. LeBron was uh, masterful. Uh, uh, 28, seven and nine. Um, it goes without saying. Night. Was that? On an off shooting night. On an off shooting night. But he, bro, that was vintage LeBron. I mean, the way he closed that game, that was unreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, AD dropped in 30. So you're, you're going to get 60 points out of those guys, right? But to your point, who's going to step up? So let's talk about who else would step up in a playoff matchup. It's not going to be JaVale. JaVale's not going to give you more than 10. You got Avery Bradley, Danny Green, KCP, Kyle Kuzma, Markeith Morris. That's pretty much who you're counting on to get you those Bradley numbers. You're telling me that you wouldn't take the Clippers bench over that bunch? That's my only point. Okay, so I'm trying to I'm trying to understand exactly why that's that's such an issue, right? Because on the Clippers, you know who the alphas are, Kawhi and PG. Okay, then that second tier is Lou and Montrez. And then everyone else, you just take what you get, right? But they have their roles. They have their things that they're supposed to do. That's the same with the Lakers, right? You've got AD, you got LeBron. That's the top tier. That's the head of the state. And then JaVale, you're not expecting JaVale to do anything other than play strong defense. Fair enough. All right. And Avery and Danny play strong defense on the perimeter, knock down the open threes. Kuzma, you come off the bench and score. Dwight Howard, you come off the bench and score. Here's the thing about Dwight. He did not play that much in the second half. Okay. And it's going to be interesting to see also with Rondo now that they're bringing in, uh, Dion Waiters. Okay. Someone's minutes are going to be eaten up. Is Dion right? going to be signed? Is that official? He's, Look, he's hanging out on the bench with them in suits. He, he better be. He's on so the team. Who's off the team? They cut uh, what's the what's the kid's name? Uh, I can't remember his name. It doesn't. It, it, he's he's a uh, he 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 got picked up by someone else recently. But yeah, they they did they did cut someone else to wave someone else to make a spot for for Dion. Now, here's the thing. Rondo had to be taken off of the court because he just wasn't shooting the ball well. They were the Clippers were literally daring him to shoot. Right. Okay. Markeith ate into Dwight's minutes. And you had you had and then the thing about it is if if LeBron's playing the point, 
you really don't need a second point guard on the floor. You need someone who can who can bring the ball up. And that's what Avery does. And Danny does from time to time. Right. But other than that, if Rondo's not going to be shooting the ball well, I'm I'm wondering how much time he's going to be getting to play, especially with Dion coming in. If Dion can shoot the ball well and I don't even know how much defense they need from him. They just need for him not to be a matador out there because Rondo is not the same defensive player that he was. Agree. So let's just talk about the second unit. Lou Will, Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, Pat Bev, Jermichael Green, Montrez Harrell, Zubach, I guess who you would consider a, a second-tier guy, Landry Shamit. Tell me that's not deeper and more balanced. Okay, we can – look, here's the thing. That's all I'm saying. Second unit doesn't really match up to me. That's it. Yeah, but those aren't – it's not like that's going to – they're going to say, all right, this the starting five comes off the bench and now these guys come on. You're going to have one of Dwight – one of – I'm sorry, one of Kawhi or PG on the floor 95% of the time. Yes. Right. So then it's just mixing and matching those other guys that you bring off the bench with them. Right. So okay. that's how Trez runs into Dwight and Reggie runs into Rondo. Exactly. Right. And what happened, what we saw was they nullified the advantage that they that that the Clippers have in Lou Williams being such a much better scorer off the bench than anybody that the Lakers have by just putting him in pick and rolls and then making him completely unplayable. Correct. Right. So we can talk. And and the Lakers were able to win those LeBron-less minutes. They were. They played real well without LeBron. They did. They were able to win those LeBron-less minutes. And I thought, look, the bottom line is I think the Lakers hit on something. We saw – I'm blanking on the coach's name right now, the Lakers coach. Frank Vogel, we saw him shorten their rotation in the second half. Yeah. We didn't see much Dwight. We didn't see much Javel. Like uh, seven minutes. Too. Yeah, and and because what I saw was they found something with Markeith, where they said, okay, we can put this guy on the floor and have him close this game with LeBron and be much more effective than having LeBron close the game with Rondo right. as a secondary ball handler. Right. So they traded Ron, they, they, they swapped Rondo in the closing lineup for Markeith and they was, they had strong perimeter defense and they had a guy who can shoot. So you had to respect everybody on the floor. And we saw a couple of times LeBron was able to just drive to the basket and, and do whatever he wanted down there. I was, I was surprised with the fact that they were, they were one foul away from the penalty 10 minutes into the quarter. With ten minutes left in the quarter, talking about the Lakers, and they were they didn't take advantage of that. I thought it would have ended up being a mistake, but they were still able to pull the game out. Totally agree, bro. I think that's brilliant. I will t- say one last point on this uh, on this comparison. The one thing I will give the Lakers immeasurably over the Clips is the Clips have three ball sloppers. The Lakers play much more cohesive. That ball moves a lot more fluid. I understand when it's LeBron and AD time at the end, but every every minute until that point, three, four, five, six minutes ago in the fourth quarter, that ball moves. That ball does not move with Kawhi, PG, and Marcus Morris, who 
I, I don't understand that addition because he's just another ball stopper. Yeah. PG is a ball stopper. As much as we love watching his game, yeah. that ball stops with PG and it definitely stops with Kawhi. Yeah. I think that's a huge downside. That's what I will give you as a downside. I didn't see what you, what you were seeing. I saw, I saw some very good passing, interior passing, especially, uh, with, with, when PG was driving and, 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 and creating for other players. And look, when PG was, when PG had the ball in his hands, he either got to the basket or he, or he made a three. He was very effective yeah. and very efficient all night. Yeah, I got and, that down in my notes. PG looks great. Yeah. And so, so I'm not, let's see what his, what his assist numbers were. PG, he had three assists, right? But three steals. He had more turnovers than assists, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I was watching one. the game. I didn't see the ball getting stuck when it came to him. I saw him making decisive moves. He was, he was either driving, right? Or he was, he was swinging it around or he was taking the shot. Um, you want the ball. Here's the thing. You want the ball in those guys' hands. That's what they're there for. They're not in that game in the fourth quarter without the shots that PG and Kawhi made. Kawhi okay. was taking LeBron one on one and hitting step back jumpers on him. Agree. Uh, the Eclipse had 12 assists, uh, Lakers had 22. So there's a stark contrast there. I agree with you. The ball did move pretty well in today's game, but in general, I don't think that ball moves real well with those three guys, especially down the, sh- down the stretch, bro. You know, Marcus is going to take a shot if he's somewhat open. You don't want that. You don't want Marcus taking that shot when he's somewhat open, but he's got balls to steal and he's going to shoot that shot, bro. On the Knicks, especially he is, he is really shot happy. And I'm just saying at the, it's not about who you trust at the end of the game. I do think the ball just feels more fluid on the Lakers than it does on the Clippers, but that's because they're the Clippers, right? They have three outstanding, two and a half, I would say, outstanding scorers. Yeah, they, yeah, their their guys are more one on one on. They're elite one on one players. Kawhi is getting you more assists this year than he has at any point in his entire career. He's at five five a game right now. PG. Right now is at four, but that's never really been his his game. He's an elite one-on-one player, Kawhi, an elite one-on-one player. What you see is that they do not have a point guard per se. Lou Williams is a scorer. He can get you assists. Correct. Right? But he is he comes off the bench to do one thing. He's a two. He's playing the two guard, yeah. He's getting you six assists, but he's that's that's the most on the team right there. Well, right? Reggie. Well, that's why Reggie's so important for the Clips. Yeah, but here's the thing. Reggie is not a high assist guy either. He's going to have to be, bro. Yeah, look, the necessity for him to be that and his ability to actually fulfill that are two different things. Agree. Agree. Okay. And, and we're talking about how he did not play a role in the outcome of this game. Right. You got 14 minutes. Right. Right. So we're looking, we're, we're trying to project this into what it could potentially look like in the playoffs. We're seeing that Marcus didn't show up. 0 for 9 from the field had one point. That was a awful. free throw. He was awful. okay. Yeah. Reggie, 3 for 7, got you no assist. Okay. Awful. And played 14 minutes. Yeah. 
Lewis three of eleven, and they completely abuse him in the pick and roll in the fourth quarter, where that's his time to shine right there. He's their fourth quarter guy. He's one of the top scorers. He's one of the top fourth quarter scorers in the league. You say LeBron said, look, I'm going to show you why this guy is not going to be effective against us in the playoffs. You're going to have to figure something out because I'm going to do this to him every single time down the court. And it worked. Yeah. Right. So so there look, everyone was ready to crown the uh, the Clippers. Right. That old famous Danny Green quote from the from the uh, the preseason a couple of years ago. Rest in peace, Danny Green. Right. Go ahead and crown the ass. (laughs) (laughs) you want to crown them go ahead and crown their ass but the lakers definitely gave the clippers and doc something to think about i agree look it's 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 going to be a riveting series if they meet um uh, just to put just to to give you a contrast with the bucks game and just a transition here right bucks obviously the better team record wise 53 and 10 if you look at the minutes played so first of all uh LeBron and AD, 37 and 30. So that's as good as that's going to get, right? So the points were dispersed. JaVale, Avery, Danny Green, Kuzma, KCP, Caruso, Rajon. Everybody was uh, in single digits uh, besides for Kuzma with 11. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Rondo gave you five. Markeith gave you five. So two things jump out at me here. If the Lakers are going to be massively successful, obviously they're going to get 65 to 70 points from LeBron and AD. The difference is you're not going to get that Avery Bradley performance, but they could still win the game, to your point. They could still win those those games with high defensive intensity, pushing the ball, and giving everyone their piece. That's pretty much the only way they're going to win a playoff series against a, a, a team of this caliber. And therein lies the problem. You need those. You need everyone to chip in six to eight to eleven points. That's that's just a tough ask in the playoffs, bro. But that's your hurdle. Defense wins championships. Yes. And what you saw in that Bucks game was very strong defense. The Bucks have a very strong defense as well. We're talking about two of the top four defenses in the entire league. Yes. Okay. So that was that was a dog fight between those two teams. And what you saw was that Giannis was huffing and puffing in that fourth quarter. He was in a war. LeBron took him down into the lower block twice in the fourth quarter to make a point. Yeah. To say this guy can't guard me. I don't care. He's been a monster to everyone else. I'm a bigger monster. Yeah. LeBron really showed out, bro. The thing about LeBron that you have to give him credit for is he he understands the moment. He knows when to turn it up. He knows what to do, what to say, how to play. You got to give it to him, bro. I mean, he didn't always understand that as an athlete, but no one understands the game better than LeBron today. And and that's why he's so successful in his 17th year, 34 years old, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It, LeBron understands the moment. He understands the stage. Sometimes he gets a little too... Uh, center of the sun, you know, kind of way with, with, with AD where he, he has to jump in the spotlight and that's just when his ego gets the best of him. But when LeBron is calm, the thing that illustrated this the most is, um, so Pat Bev, you know, Pat Bev, how his game, he, he got in LeBron's walking path. Like yeah. after LeBron, I think hit a layup in his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what happened, but Pat Bev literally just got in front of him talking smack to LeBron James. And you know, Pat Bev's looking up at LeBron and LeBron is what? seven inches taller than him and mm-hmm. 40 pounds heavier, right? At least. Yeah. Um, and LeBron just doesn't pay, pays him no mind. Like literally just walks through him 
while he's chirping. And you're watching that and you're like, listen, this is why LeBron is the king, because the lion doesn't concern himself with the sheep. That's what that was. You know what I mean? And I got to give him credit for that. Well, here's the thing. Pat is is a very smart guy. Is he, though? He he knows that because what you saw, it didn't it didn't affect him that first time. Right. But it's a cumulative effect. Okay, so, okay, maybe. And it didn't even take a full a full game. It didn't even take a couple of games. It didn't take for it to play out over the course of a series. Later on in the game, there was a point where he made a play on the ball after the after the whistle had blown and LeBron kind of swiped at him. Right. So he's going to get you at least one time. And that's all he that's all he's looking for. He's he's looking to get you at least one time. If you put Pat Bev in AD's face, which, again, is equally as absurd, if you ask me. But if that were to happen, AD's going to chirp back. Yeah. He's not walking through. Dude, LeBron, literally, it was like he was he was on a Sunday stroll in Central Park, bro. I mean, I mean, he was making a face like, I know this guy's in my face and I'm actually ignoring him. I wonder when he's going to get the message. That was the face he was making. Yeah, that's because the first the, we we here at a certain point, right? We go past our rehearsed responses. So he was expecting Pat to do it at least one time. So he yeah. rehearsed for him to do it at least one time. And what you saw was that the second time was beyond his rehearsed responses. Yeah, right. And he reacted by swiping that at Pat Bev this the, this next time when he was just yeah. playing tussling with him with the ball. And, and LeBron swiped them and, and they thought it was going to be a double tech, but they ended up not calling anything. Right. Right. Just telling the guys to, to, to cut it out. But he initially LeBron knew it was going to happen. So you saw him react that way. Very poised the first time. The second time he didn't rehearse for a second time and you got an instinctive reaction. It's going to irritate you. It's yeah. going to irritate you. Pat has no ego about wanting it to happen the first time. He's going right. to do it over the course of the game. Right. Right. So you're of the opinion that LeBron literally has every chess move already played out in his head before it happens. So once in a while, when a pawn moves in a way he didn't expect it to, you know, he'd have an adverse reaction. I can buy that. Yeah, that's that's that. every that's every machine, every computer. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. This is the different part of the algorithm. Uh, market yeah. correction. Yeah. You, you, and then he has to course correct. Right. I, I, I mean, to, to go to that point, we would we I sent you the text earlier. He's got to come up with something else off of that spin move. Why, though? It's so effective. He did it on Kawhi. He just went right to the rim. It was it was beautiful. It's effective against guys with a lower IQ defensively. Right. Most guys are going to fall for it no matter what. You can set them up for it. Just like with now everyone knows when he looks down beyond the three point line, he's shooting every single. I have not seen him not do it. Yeah. I think he's That's smart true. enough to be setting it up, though. I think he's one of those guys who's so calculated. He's going to do it every single time in the regular season. And then and then in the playoffs, he's going to have something for you when you're expecting. I think he's that kind of guy. I just he's, he's just that kind of genius. Uh, same thing with the spin move. I, I fully expect him to have a secondary move off of that because in the playoffs, guys, you saw it with Montrez. Montrez read it. He saw it coming a mile away, and he was right there. To get the charge call. This, I, I, dude, I think that's a brilliant point. And I wouldn't put that past LeBron. I'm sure he'll do that. 
I'm sure he's done it in years past. If we go back and look, the thing that really, really got me at the end of that ball game on the closeout was LeBron when he when he went right to the rim. I don't know if Trez was in the game uh, at that point with you know about a minute you know minute and change to go. Mm-hmm. LeBron in the fourth quarter still getting to the rim at will against basically the entire Clippers team tells yeah. you it's it, it's just so hard to say he's he's not the greatest player in the game still. I understand that Harden's a better player on paper. I get all of that. But how is LeBron not right there? Just watch the game. Yeah. Just to just transition to the Rockets here, um, that's why I brought up Harden. But, but even so, I understand that Giannis is the MVP, but uh, just watch LeBron play when it matters. Okay, he, he's he's just a different kind of cat. He, he's not going to give you the everyday coast-to-coast performance of a young Giannis. And look, the whole conversation about MVP, what does it really mean? What does it really stand for? fact is, LeBron should win the MVP, should have won the MVP most of the last decade. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's he really is the most valuable player on every team he's on. But yeah. that's not how the media is going to sell more tickets, so we don't play it that way. But I don't know. I think awards are stupid. That's really what it comes down to. Sometimes it can be a popularity contest. Yeah. I know you and agree with me on this point. About, you hear analysts talk all the time just about fatigue, right? A guy, when you're so consistently good for so yeah. long, yeah. people sort of get tired of, 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 of giving you your flowers. That's correct. It's not good for business for every year to say if this one guy is the best player, yeah. then no one's going to tune in to, to you know the six, six or seven other teams with you know three or four other best players that the league wants you to watch. Yeah. Well, so. here's the thing: the the guys who have gotten it over him in the last couple of years have been very deserving of it. Giannis had an absolute monster of a year last season. He's he's gone beyond that even this season, so. right? James, he he started off really hot. The Russell Westbrook thing, which I, I believe we're going to get into right now, is is definitely a factor. They're two alpha dogs, okay, and I have not seen outside of maybe a couple of times, less than a handful, both of them having it going on the same night. Either one of them does, right? If one of them does, and the other one's having a bad night, and they still manage to come out and win the game because they've got the two best players on the floor or they both stink. Well, so let's talk about what the Rockets are doing since the Capella trade. It's It's been well-documented, right, moving the center out, playing the small ball lineup, which I don't know if you like watching. I'm of the opinion. I, I just severely dislike the, the product. I, I, it's not fun for me to watch not seeing anyone within 10 feet of the paint. It's just, I don't know, maybe call me old school or just, it's not even that. I can watch you jack up 43s a game, mm-hmm. but just the visual of, of having five guys stand around on the perimeter, just wait for the ball, not yeah. my cup of tea. I don't know about you. It's the thing. It's, it's not, that's not precisely what it is. I've, I've, well, I, I, I can't, I can't even say that it's not the case now. I, I can, when it was pretty much, consistent with what we're talking about with the team that they have now outside of Capella, they only take two kinds of shots, right? If it's not, it's either at the rim or it's a three. Yeah. I got numbers for you on that. So check this out to your point. Uh, in the month of February, which is a full calendar month where they play the small board lineup, just the month of February, 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Three point attempts. I'll give you the Dallas Mavericks a two at five oh six. I'll let you guess how many of the Rockets took in that stretch. Seven hundred. Oh, dude, come on. <laughs> the month of February. Five thirty eight. Okay. So, you know, a little more than the Mavericks. So here's the small ball idea, right? You you jack up more threes, your percentage is down, but you'll have more points. So their three point percentage is they are 18th in three-point percentage, bro. 18th. You want to guess it's the three-point? Three so 18th overall, 35.9%. That's about average. You, you're only going to hit three out of ten. So they're jacking up 60 more, but getting three out of every ten of those 60. So that's yeah. 18 more threes a game, essentially. Yeah. So think about how crazy that is. Yeah, you have you have not <laughs> really improved anything. You're only going to hit three out of ten. But Charles Barkley talks about that all the time. Even the best guy is only going to hit three out of every ten. Um, I 6% field goal percentage, but go ahead. Yeah, I don't have a lot of mental energy invested in any of what they're doing, especially recently since they've sort of come back to earth, right? <laughs> Um, the market's corrected itself. They got off to a hot start when they shipped out Capella, and now you see what it's supposed to be. Right? I agree. I don't believe this is sustainable in the playoffs. I just don't see how you're going to go three rounds plus the finals. I just don't think that's going to happen. But in the end, how? what about the physical toll? that it's going to take for five guys to stand out there and guard two or three 6'10 guys. I mean, how many times can P.J. Tucker guard a 6'10 guy? I understand Covington is playing big, but that's just Covington. Covington's still not a seven-footer. Besides, what about the next 6'10 guy? Who gets him? Is usually P.J. Tucker. How is, you know, doing that for the the next three months? I don't know. I don't know how you put a number on that. I I get the thinking behind it. If you're just going to look at the rest of what's in the West and how many guys taller than what you've got are, are we, are we talking about that are elite that are going to be giving you trouble in crunch time minutes? Well, crunch time minutes, great point here. How about, how about assist, right? So you're standing out there. You're not really passing the ball in the month of February. Again, all of these stats are just in the month of February, Miami heat. Number one in the league at 369 assists. To my earlier point, it's a joy to watch them play the game. They, they're they're truly truly fun to watch for that reason. The Rockets 28th in the league, 28th, bro, with 230 assists. Yeah, that's interesting. And their assists come from two guys. Yeah, exactly. That's why there's, no one, there's no one on, there's no one else on the ball on on the, on that team that's a playmaker. You're two, you've got two playmakers, two dominant, two ball dominant guys, right? And they do all of the playmaking for you and they do most of the rebounding too, right? So it's, it's, it's very interesting. They, the, the entire team, what they said is we are paying these two guys a lot of money. We are going to create, we're going to create this team in their image. And it wouldn't be the first time that it's ever happened, right? Uh, the, Sixers did that years ago with Allen Iverson. You just have this transcendent talent. You've got to fit. You've got to. You've got to then go out and create a team that accentuates this guy's strengths. And 
compensates for his weaknesses. Yeah, I agree. But there's, and that's there's what the Rockets have done. Yeah, there's something to be said about going all in with your chips. I respect the idea that you're not going to win a championship with Capella, so you might as well clear the paint for Russell Westbrook to become something of a top-tier player. I get yeah. that. That I, I agree with and I accept. The problem is is that's not a way to win. When you're you're not going to win three playoff series when you're last in the league in assists. I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm going to venture to say no one's really ever won a finals not having enough, being bottom barrel in assists. Just yeah. not how it works. Yeah. Yeah. Here, but, here's, a, here's a realization that I, I believe uh, the Rockets came to. You're not going to beat the Lakers or the Clippers at their game. You're right. You've got to figure out some way to suck them into playing your, your game. Right. And they had to, they had to go in, they had to go all in, like you were talking about, on their strengths. That's the only way to do it. If there's any sort of disparity, any sort of, of disalignment or lack of alignment with what your core strengths are as a team, then you're not going to be successful with trying to suck one of those top two teams into playing your game. So they had to go all in. It's not working as of late. Right. But that was the only option that they had. You're not going to beat the Lakers and the Clippers at their game. Just wasn't happening. They're way, they're, they're way much more disciplined in playing that style of basketball than you are at it. Right. And a lot of teams get shell shocked when they see that lineup. Uh, I think when they played the Celtics and they won uh, on the road, which was a really impressive win, you saw Cantor and Tice basically not know what to do. Um, and you saw Cantor, I think he got like four minutes that whole game. Tice ate up all the minutes. He barely knows what to do on the defensive end of the ball. Right, but but you could tell a lot of teams just don't know. Like with Gobert, right? If if you're playing the Jazz, Gobert is useless. So now you have a seven footer who's I don't know forty percent of your team generally, whatever the number is, you know, pretty important member of your team who can't play against a small ball lineup. So I, I do think there is some benefit to it in that regard. Let's just not say it's it's all terrible, but um, you know, to all to all of our points, tough to see that play out. Yeah, they just look, they, they weren't, they didn't have the personnel. They weren't going to get the personnel. There's no one that you were going to pick up off the side of the road, right? Off the waiver wire that you were going to say, okay, we can throw this guy out five, four times in a sip and and win four games out of seven against AD. Yeah. Well, the last interesting stat I'll give you, uh, because I do got to get off here in a bit. Uh, The last interesting stat I'll give you on the Rockets here is that they're only 11th in the month of February in points with 1312. Hawks being number one with 1562. That was surprising to me. Uh, What was that stat again? They're only 11th in the month of February in points. Okay. It's not even like they're outscoring everybody else because the Hawks are number one with – 1562 points in the month of February. Yeah. Which was surprising to me that the Hawks were on that list. A lot of, look, who did, who did they play against? It's just, yeah, they, they could have had crappy, but it's an, it's an entire month, but either way, I, I agree. Um, you, right, had, so. you had a quote that you wanted us to get into, or at least a, a, yeah. a post that you had sent me. Yeah, yeah. Just final topic for the evening here. Um, something I, I really wanted to get your opinion on. Mm-hmm. So I'll read the tweet for the audience. Um, this is, I would assume, from a regular person, and the tweet went viral. 
Um, This was on February 25th, so a little while ago, but I had screenshotted it. Uh, This guy told me he wants to have a daughter first because girls tend to be more caring and look after their siblings more. I know he meant no harm. It's just interesting how females, even before they're born, are expected to serve others, even in childhood. Even if you think your own way of thinking is harmless, there's nothing wrong with questioning it. Wanting a girl first because of her expected ability to serve her siblings is a little weird, to put it lightly. A girl, a, a girl child, interesting, a girl child, should be able to prioritize herself first and foremost. That's the content. I'm going to let you just sort of give me your your initial reaction to that. Yeah, that it can go both ways, but it it, it's it's the perspective that excites everyone. You see, so it's coming from a female's perspective. So that's why everyone's so excited. You see, but boys, if you're the older sibling, you're expected to take care of your younger siblings as well. Mm -hmm. And I know personally I still had a lot of figuring myself out to do. I'm the oldest sibling. Mm-hmm, me too. Among, amongst, so you you can relate. Look, we've got yeah. a lot of stuff that we have to figure out too. And not only was I the oldest sibling, I I, had, I grew up in a single parent home, mm. right? It was just my mom. Right. You see, so I'm figuring that I had I had no one to show me how to be a man. Right. No one to show me how to be an older brother. So right. you're figuring out all of this on the fly while still trying to discover who you are as a person. Right. And grow up. Yeah. So, so we're, mistakes, all, we're right. all growing into, we're all coming into, into a world where the expectations are already preset, right? According to race, religion, sex, mm-hmm. right? All of these things, they're already predetermined for us. And they, they've been in existence for Dozens of years, even if not centuries. Right. Okay. What happens is when you become uncomfortable within those preset expectations, it still is upon us to then start to take on the challenge to grow beyond that. Right. That's a great point. It's such a difficult thing. It's a very difficult thing, but it's a challenge that all of us face regardless of the circumstance. So I, I look, I get what she's going through, but it's 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 she still has choice within the circumstance. At, right. So that takes me to my point. That's a great point. Um, I thought that was really deep. The other part of this is is everyone has their challenges. Mm-hmm. Everyone it's like you said, expectations. Everyone is born in a situation where they didn't pretty much they, nobody. Nobody decided the situation they were born into. Mm -hmm. So whether it's expectations or reality or just stuff that people around you, you know, want you to do. Ultimately, as we grow up, the people that decide for us at first, it's, it's not us. We're not the ones who put that, those, those things on us. So even if it's true that it's terrible and that, you know, Everyone else decides that we're expected to serve, even if that was true, which I'm about to explain. I don't think that's true. But even if it was, that means nothing. That, yeah, just, that just means that, that you have a decision to make. Mm-hmm. How is that different than any other part of your life? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I and agree with you. That's number one. My final point on this is I believe this is just another form of the victim mentality. Yes. 
I think that you're just looking for another excuse to come out and say, you know what, I'm not X, Y, or Z because people expect me to be, you know, A and B. Mm-hmm. I think that's just another jail you're putting yourself in to make it easier on the fact that you're just not working hard enough and you yeah. need somebody else to blame. In this case, you're going to blame a social norm. Yeah. That's my second point on this. I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. Look, life's very, very hard, right? I wasn't sure if you would finish. Yeah, go ahead. Life is very, very hard. And what happens is when, to get back to your point about social media, right, and and some of the negative aspects of it, she feels comfortable with putting that on social media because it's a popular opinion. Mm -hmm. It's an easy win. It's an easy win. It's a layup. Right. right. And as you as you said, it went viral. There are so many people who are going to who are going to agree with it. But that doesn't mean that you having that point of view strengthens you mm. as a person. It only gives you one more battle to have to fight. But it's a battle that you've created for yourself. Right. OK. Right. So that's the thing. But that's the thing with social media. You see, you 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 have we are, we're talking about. Popular consensus, popular theory, popular opinion. It's, it's, it's so often going to be heavily skewed to the things that make us weaker. Right. And compromise us. Right. And what you see is more often than not, people would much rather lump themselves in with that than go against right. the popular opinions. Right. It's, it's an easy win. That's what social media. See, that's what gives me hope is that if you really look, if you really looked at everything, if you just had a 10,000 foot view of all this crap that was going on every single minute of every single day, you'd realize that social media is just, it's just a pocket. It's, it's a loud pocket. It's the only pocket you're exposed to. But if you zoomed out, everything else around it is much bigger, much vaster. So in this little sphere, in this world, yeah, it went viral because a lot of people maybe agree or disagree with it. But in in the world in general, if you have, you know, underprivileged females and you know, rural India, those people are victims. Okay. And what's funny is that if you're an actual victim in this case, like if you really are expected to just sit home and cook and clean, which, you know, I'm Iranian. There's dude, I know people like, you know, maybe people in their forties, fifties and sixties who genuinely believe this should be the case. Like it's not that far fetched that some women really are victimized domestically. Yeah. Even those people don't wake up and think they're victims. Mm-hmm. And if they do, right, you're preaching to the choir right now. I just think that the people who have it really, really, really hard, the ones who are really struggling, they're just fighting battles, bro. They're just trying to survive. Their life sucks and they're just trying to make it suck less. They're not worried about complaining. And I, I just think that. This is a silo. And so at least in the real world, most people, thank God, at least in this country, aren't domestically victimized. At least, you know, for, on the, for the most part, most people, I don't think, would share this opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, deep, the deep thing that you that you were, were, were getting to, right, is when you spoke about how they, wo- they wake up and it's, it's, it's normal for them, right? Mm-hmm. And the question I have is... If those people were given an alternative, how many of them would take it? Right. You don't know anything else in your life, but that it may be uncomfortable as hell, but that's life in general. Some of us, we, 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 we wake up and we go throughout the day and we are miserable. We don't like what's going on. There is an alternative. It's, it's 
It's going to take a lot of work, but how many people are going to be committed to that work and how many of them are just going to regress back into what they don't like? Because although they don't like it, right. it's what they know and it's what they're comfortable with. Yeah, that's brilliant. How are you going to get up every morning and be better and work harder if the first thing in your mind is, yo, everyone expects me to, to be a caregiver? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that's, you know, and just have that just sort of negative mentality around, well, this is what everybody expects. What am I supposed to do? Well, you know what? Why don't you start with being the best damn caregiver ever and then go on to do everything else on top of it? Yeah. Like, you know, why not lean into something that I think is pretty positive and altruistic for us to expect every woman in the world to be caring, loving, kind, you know, ambivalent, all that stuff. That's a beautiful thing. Imagine if every woman in the world was that way and still did everything else. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm not saying that that should be the expectation. I'm saying lean into it if that's really the case. Overcome it. That's a fundamental element of just being a well-rounded individual. Yeah. That's not a bad thing to be expected to be loving and caring. Exactly. That That's a fundamental element of being a well-rounded individual, someone who's able to have productive and loving relationships with other people. That's And, and, and what happens is because our society, the first language we speak is complaining, mm-hmm. we just complain about these things in our lives that are only training us and conditioning us to be better people overall. Yeah. You may not like the class that you're taking, yeah. right? But that class is preparing you for the next level of this, this school that we're all in called life. Amen, bro. This has been awesome. Yes, sir. Do yes, it again sir. next week. We would do this NBA thing. Yes. All right, bro. Have a great week, man. Uh, Monday's a new day for all you out there. If you're listening to this on Monday, Tuesday's a new day. Just get after it. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought you, I, I was gonna let you sign off. Oh man, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. I'll oh, catch you in the next one. Thanks for having me. Anytime, yeah. bro. Have a great week. Likewise. All right, take care.